0: Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground.
1: Let me just kind of lay it out for our, our audience. We're going to talk about gun control from a hunter's perspective today. So it's not that I'm crazy about guns, but I probably have more than my fair share.
2: An AR is just a toy to play with. It's not, in, but in the case, people are now using it because it's so powerful.
1: We're not that predictable. I think we're reflective beings too. Let's talk about the shooter. ACEs,
2: acute childhood experiences.
1: We can fix this without um, touching the Second Amendment. We're going to do it through interpretation and finding common ground. And I think that common ground is going to be the key. And I think that's going to make it a little better for everyone.
0: There are two sides to every coin.
2: How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black. And
0: there's white. And I think as
2: Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them
0: in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of
1: times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always
2: understand.
1: A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you just saying thank you for all your grace and your mercy, God, with everything going on in this country, with the shootings, not just the mass shootings, God, but just shootings in general. Some would get weary, some would get discouraged, some would even get just just negative. Yes, it is a situation that causes all those emotions, but we also continue to look to you, God. You said that we are the salt of the earth. We look toward you, and I believe that we, as men, created this situation. We, as men, with your help and guidance, can get out of this situation. So God, we thank you but we ask for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom to allow us to get out of this deadly dangerous situation that's occurring in America, the mass shootings and the individual shootings and all the anger that's associated with it, along with the mental health issues and so many more. So God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus precious name. We pray and believe. Amen.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that, uh, you, uh, You help stop these, you stop these shootings, these uh, murders Uh, that people that get powerful weapons go in and start shooting and killing people. Lord, we know it's the evil one that's involved, but we need your help. We want this to stop. We want to stop killing uh, blacks on blacks, uh, whites going into black community killing, uh, whites going into church uh, schools and killing. It has nothing to do with the color of skin. Uh, it's just people that get evil and decide to do crazy things. And Lord, we lift up uh, these situations and all these victims and their families, because it's, it's just not the person that died. There's all those extenuating family members that uh, are affected. And the community gets affected. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh you send your angels down and protect communities from this happening in the future, schools, synagogues, churches, mosques uh, mosque. Uh, Lord, uh, it's, uh, you know, the guns are not the bad thing. Uh, it's the people shooting them. Uh, amen.
1: Bill, you know, it's interesting. Usually we talk about some chit chat or something like that. Well, today I just want to dive right into it. You know, both of us are hunters. We hunt and What people don't understand, a lot of times when you talk about gun control and you talk about all the things that's in the national news, a lot of times these positions that's coming forth is not representing me as a hunter, as a Black person who's a hunter. And I don't know if they represent you as a hunter or a white person who hunts. But let me just kind of lay it out for our our audience. We're going to talk about gun control from a hunter's perspective today. Now, a hunter, for those who don't hunt, I grew up. Hunting from um, beating guns, but guns and firearms was something that I grew up with. My grandfather had a shotgun, hunted rabbits, did all those things. My grandfather had a pistol. I'm sure that his father uh, had shotguns. So in the South, where I grew up in South Carolina, that was normal. For Christmas, we used to get a uh, cap gun. I don't know if people remember cap guns. You know, you had cap guns and all that. And we used to play with water guns. And then it went from there to Daisy, uh, single shot, a Daisy BB gun. Then it was a pellet gun. Then it was a pump BB gun. And then I got my first real firearm, a 410. Some may know what that is and some may not. At the ripe old age of 14 to 15, 16, going rabbit hunting. So guns has been a big deal. Um, That's why Bill stated earlier that it's not the guns for some of us. Um, having the gun. Bill, I remember bringing you an old, old shotgun that my grandfather used to own. It was kind of broken around the trigger. And I remember you helping refurbish it and getting it back. And that's one of the prized possessions for me. So it's not that I'm crazy about guns, but I probably have more than my fair share. And each one means something. It's almost like a fisherman who may have 10 to 15 different fishing rods for different occasions. For those who don't know, when you go hunting a certain type of guns you use for certain type of animals that you hunt. You have high-powered rifles, and so we'll talk about that later on, that you hunt deer and other ones with. But you have certain shotguns if you're hunting ducks, or you have certain shotguns if you're hunting rabbits or, or squirrels or anything like that. And so those are the things that don't get talked about when we start talking about from a hunter's perspective. When we start talking about all the different things. So, Bill, your thoughts, because you're a hunter and you've been hunting for a while, your family and everything
2: else. Well, you're right. Uh, in, in, our, in, my, in my immediate family, we didn't have guns. My dad wouldn't allow them. If you got a BB gun or anything, he would take it and uh, take it away and uh, get dispose of it. Uh, now, on the other hand, my uncles, they hunted to feed their family. They had nine kids and they would go hunting all the time for deer and uh, rabbit and duck. pheasant you know they they go fishing for fish that's one way they fed their families um and uh the the interesting thing is you know up until probably what 10 or 15 years ago ars weren't around uh these automatic weapons uh machine guns were okay but they were outlawed you couldn't you couldn't own a machine gun um I'm sure people got them, but it wasn't supposed to. But, you know, we primarily used a rifle that might have held at the max four bullets, Uh, usually two or three is the most that would hold. And uh, and it was a lever action. So you had to cock it each time. It wasn't an automatic weapon. Uh, Handguns, revolvers until uh, 1911, which is a model that came out that they started using and they put magazines in that. But, you know, the ARs and the high-capacity magazines are really the things that, as hunters, we don't use. Uh, we may do something with target practice with it, but, you know, when you go to target practice, the whole reason you should be doing target practice is to become a better shot with your particular gun. You know, knowing the sights, knowing how what angle it goes, and so you're you, if you have a scope, you're sighting it in, so you, the crossbars are where you want to shoot, Uh so it's, an AR is just a toy to play with. It's not, in, but in the case, people are now using it because it's so powerful. Uh, it's a military grade weapon um, and uh, they use NATO rounds, uh, same rounds that NATO uses. And uh, it's a big, powerful bullet that, that's designed to inflict wounds on, on, on soldiers you when know, they're in their military. I don't see a reason for ARs and high capacity magazines in our society. Uh, now, I know people that have them and uh, they, they said they don't want to give them up. So it's kind of a slippery slope. How do, you, how do you control it? If you stop making it legal, what do you do with all the ones that people own? And there's millions of them out there. Do you go and try and find them and take them back? Or do you leave them, have them? Well, if you leave them, have them, they'll eventually work their way into the wrong people's hands. That's, that's my two cents.
1: Well, you know, I think, and, and that's very, very telling because you talked about something that a lot of people don't talk about. And as hunters, when you start talking about ammunition, and let me explain to those who are not a hunter who didn't go up with it, ammunition is what we call bullets. Well, one thing we understand that is a science to bullets also, and whether it's a shotgun, whether it's a high-powered rifle, certain bullets respond differently when it hits its target. So let me explain without talking about anything or uh, everything, you can get certain ammunition, certain bullets that shoots from a rifle or even a shotgun that once it hit its target is it explodes. Now we usually when you think and I'm talking to the audience here, usually when you look at a bullet, a bullet goes in and the bullet's about, about the size of, I don't know, let's just say your small fingernail and it goes in and that's the hole. But a certain other bullets that's about the size of your small fingernail, once it goes into a target, look at your fist. It blows up inside of the target about the size of your fist. So you you shoot something with a bullet, goes in, and then it explodes. So let's just say, for lack of a better term, and I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm sure I will, let's say Bambi, you shoot Bambi with a high powered hollow point bullet, it's a certain type of ammunition, and it goes in one side of Bambi, like a little size of your fingernail, your baby, your pinky finger fingernail. But the other side of Bambi is blown wide open, like your fist, and everything inside of Bambi, internal parts, is blown apart. Now, you think of Bambi, and you think of a small child. It's about the same mass, so you think about that. And one of the things, Bill, that was so concerning for me, that really hurt me, was when they were trying to identify some of the bodies in Texas, and they said they had to get DNA to identify some of the babies' bodies. In them.
2: Mm. Wow, I didn't hear that. I did hear, you know, that the the police didn't go in right away, and some people uh, died from bleeding um you know one of the things uh you worry about when you're you're wounded particularly in military is uh uh losing too much blood and uh dying from that's called bleeding out it was interesting we at our hunt camp uh one of the guys um uh, said hey we need to have a wound kit up here in case somebody does get shot we can we can address it and uh we had a couple of guys come in from Fort Bragg and they They showed us how to use the wound kit. I had never seen one and how to use a tourniquet on yourself, uh, to stop bleeding in a, in an arm or a leg. And, uh, and so I carry these portable tourniquets with, with me in the car, uh, because, you know, you come up in an auto accident or something, somebody's bleeding, uh, you can put pressure on it, but if you, you may have to put a tourniquet on it to stop the bleeding, um, and you know, we learned that in Boy Scouts, how to save a life until you can get them, you know, to the hospital. But the, uh, the wound kits are interesting. They're, they're kind of like, um, a pad that you put in and it expands. So you uh-huh. put it, put it in a hole and it expands and, uh, it's kind of a gel and it blocks the loss of, uh, fluid and, uh, depending on the size of the hole, you've got different size pads and, uh, and they're sterile and, uh. And they, they work phenomenally well. They're battlefield tested. So, um, but you know, back to the the fact of gun guns and gun control. You know, it's it's most of these large um, killings, murders have been done with the automatic weapons. Um, you know, the range on an automatic an AR is hundreds of yards, uh, where uh, a uh, handgun maybe 25 feet, Mm -hmm. you know? So you got to get real close to shoot Uh, where an AR you can be, you know, across the schoolyard and, and hit somebody. So that's, that explains why it's so powerful.
1: Well, you know, when you look at it and as a hunter perspective and I feel that no one is talking about this from our perspective, we have those on the far right and we have those on the far left and we have uh, a lot of people in the middle. So I'm kind of in the middle. So let me just talk about some things that I think if someone asks me as a hunter, first and foremost, I think we should not touch the Second Amendment, leave the Second Amendment on the shelf where it is. However, I think that we could look at background checks. I think that may be reasonable or maybe even a waiting period because if someone's very, I think if someone want to get a gun, they can find a gun. Let's say this. And let's say that we all know that criminals, no matter what you do, those will always be able to get guns illegally. Now, I believe, and I've stated before, raising the age, the legal age from 18 to 21. And I think the ammunition, the whole ammunition thing that we talked about, certain ammunition may not be available. Because again, I wouldn't say anything, Bill, about uh, you made a statement, how do you get people's automatic weapons back from it? I That's not an issue. I just think that if you curtail the ammunition I think that's where, how you can deal with that. Now, magazines. To the listening audience, a magazine is what Bill spoke about earlier, is a tool that's used to hold X amount of rounds, which is bullets, in it. Bill stated earlier that at one time, it was only able to hold three to five bullets at the most. Now, we have some magazines, and usually people call them rounds. A bullet is a round. So if you hear the term that people said, well, it can only hold five rounds. Well, I think it's some now that you could get that could hold a whole lot more. And i asked ask Bill to comment on that. However, if you had magazines capacity just to do five rounds, it would it slow down a person. If you're doing a mass shooting, it would slow down the person. So now they at least have to stop, exchange and put in a new round, a new magazine. So that way people have an opportunity to respond. Maybe uh, potential victims can escape maybe law enforcement could get there and respond or something like that. And it will slow down because even in a hunter, as a hunter, you can only have X amount of bullets or rounds in your weapon at certain times of the year based on what you're hunting. So, you know, and that's just kind of how it is. So those are the things that I'm thinking about, Bill, but also, you know, you talk about the whole safety aspects of it. As a hunter, we have to we have to go through safety things. I know as the scouts, Bill, you all taught these boys how to and young ladies how to shoot, but before they even touched it, it had to safety. They had to get safety training and all that kind of stuff. So when you talk about NATO rounds, Bill. What does NATO round back to ammunition? But what does NATO rounds mean to the person who have no idea?
2: If if NATO is fighting in a country they're issued ammunition and it's uh, it's for their automatic weapons and that ammunition, that bullet uh, fits into many ARs that are made today. So let's say there's a war in America and NATO comes to other countries, NATO countries come together, they show up in America and NATO sh- soldiers come in and fight Americans. Let's say, well, And uh, a NATO soldier drops his magazine with bullets. You could take that same clip, put it in your AR, and it would work. So you you'd be able to do that. One of the things, as you know, there's different caliber guns. There's 308, 30 out six, seven millimeter, seven millimeter short. They don't. They're not interchangeable where this natal round works in all these particular ARs that come. So you can get, you can get an AR that has a natal round or runs a, I think it's a two, two, seven is the other one. Uh, you know, I want to talk about something that is, let's talk about the shooter. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about yeah, guns, but let's just talk about the shooter. You know, uh, we, we've been studying this thing called ACEs acute childhood experiences. And uh, we found that uh, I was talking to a, uh, Uh, a uh, psychiatrist and a uh, uh, police officer. And we were talking about the shooters and all these mass shootings that have happened recently. And they both said, if they go back in that person's background, they, they will have ACEs, acute childhood experiences that cause them to, what happens is these experiences, if you get four of these markers before you're seven, it changes your brain your brain chemistry, and how you think. And so it. So you think about the young man that went into the black community and shot people up, and he had a manifesto and all that. He's 18 years old. How does that happen to an 18-year-old? Where does he get that? And that his brain really thinks that's the right thing. Uh, replacement theory, I think it was called. And uh, it's because of these ACEs. And they, they said, I bet you dime to a dollar that Every one of these people had ACEs. And the way you get around ACEs, you make p- young people resilient to them. We talked about this on the show. how uh, You'd be resilient because you're a mom. So you give give people uh, that have these ACEs uh, structure. And uh, you know you give them an environment with a mentor. You give them uh, a coach or you give them uh, uh, maybe a youth pastor. or And they also have to have a group of people that they get along with that support them. Okay. They can't be isolation as some of these kids become isolated and think their own thoughts. Uh, and, and then you have to allow them to fail in an environment that's safe and right. succeed and succeed as well. So, you know, growing up as a young person, when I grew up, I can still remember how difficult it was uh, being accepted, not feeling like a geek, you know, you didn't, we couldn't afford clothes that were the cool clothes, uh, you know. So we just went about and did our thing. The uh, So going back to these shooters, what's your, what's your thoughts on the shooters?
1: Well, I think that you make a very valid point because a lot of times, let's just say we all want acceptance. And let's say that I'm a individual who have somehow stumbled into a, an environment. Let's say my environment may have been associated with the internet, one of these places that a lot of us don't know, but where they glorify the the killer, the shooter, you know, and like anything, if it's a place or a peer group, and I'm not a licensed therapist or anything, but they glorify the shooter, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, who's next? Because in a lot of cases, Bill, that's what people want, the glorification whether we go out there and we kill a deer and we say, okay, here's the pictures on Facebook. Now, nobody does not do that for mass shootings, of course, but a picture of a deer that we kill, we put it on Facebook, all this kind of stuff, the glorification of what we did, see what we did. And again, I think that's when you think about the shooter, that's what the shooter is going after. Maybe not for the general public, but for those peer groups, that group that may be associated with in, um, on the web or website or something like that that we don't know about, but it means a lot to that individual because like you stated earlier, the manifestos that's coming up, they're coming from somewhere. And a lot of the manifestos, my understanding, it relates back to what previous individuals had done. So that's kind of how I look at the shooter. But one thing I I think about from the shooter perspective, also from America, Bill, we are not machines. We are human beings. And sooner or later, we're not that predictable like a machine, what is gonna do and what's gonna be the response to the stimulus that's going on. I think we're reflective beings too. And we're gonna reflect and look at and say, you know what, we can fix this without um, touching the second amendment. We're gonna do it through interpretation and finding common ground. And I think that common ground is gonna be the key. And I think that's gonna make it a little better for everyone, but to your point, Part of this issue is the shooter also, and also access, access to weapons.
2: Yeah, I agree. The access is one. You know, as you were talking, I was reflecting on, remember, there used to be all those um, uh, bombers that were in the Middle East that would blow themselves up, suicide bombers. Yes. Those are young people that did it because they, they had a belief system. They were going to Allah and Whatever it was that they were believing in, but those things have stopped pretty much. You don't see it as much. Uh, you know, they would blow up people on buses and all that. What? How did they stop that? What stopped that?
1: Um, I don't know. However, at one time, when I was traveling in Israel, we were going there months after individuals that you speak of would blow themselves up. And I think one blew themselves up at a bus station or on a bus. And I remember I was going by that uh, place and it made all the difference. Now, one of the things that people did, they built restrictions. They made it uh, harder for individuals who may want to come in and be a suicide bomber to come into the country. So that was a big deal. And again, made it harder for people to have access to do what, he or she wanted to do to harm others. And I think that's justification. Now America, the country that I love it's we're real big on our freedom and our rights, which is good. But also at the same time, we do have a right to be protected. And I think that's going to be part of where the conversation goes. And I feel that we have a long way to go, Bill, but I also believe that we have the wherewithal to go there.
2: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and I think because the schools have become, uh, such a target, I think we're going to have to harden the schools, make it more difficult for people to get in. Uh, you know, the, the last one, somebody propped up the back door and he got in through the back door. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff. You don't, when you go to an airport, you don't open a door that doesn't, you, the, none of us passengers see a door and say, oh, let's go open that door and check it out. No, nah, that's not a good it. idea. No. because Hey, that's not a
1: good idea. Trust me. That's not a good idea. <laughs>
2: But so we got to make it to the point that, you know, you don't approach the school uh, because, you know, it's hardened and uh, it's not a soft target. And right now, these crazies know it's a soft target. But in fact, there's a lot of soft targets, churches, yeah. synagogues, uh, places where target? we work.
1: Yeah. How about this soft target, Bill?
2: What is a soft Family? target?
1: Families. How about families? Let's yeah. let's look at it as we uh, head toward our close. Let's look at families how did our family get to be a soft target? How did families, how did American families get to be a soft target? At one time, America, America was built on strong families, strong family structure. Uh, People always wanted to make sure that they didn't embarrass their family. And the family, a lot of the discipline, a lot of the instructions, a lot of the teaching, a lot of that was done at the family unit. So how did we... Not all, but some. How do we get away from that, Bill? Is it in God we trust, or is that a cop out? Is us as individuals not hardening our families? So that's the question. And I'm not questioning you or the audience like we're on a witness stand. I'm questioning all of us, me included, for a better understanding.
2: Well, you know, we were sitting around um, having cigars one night in a bourbon, and somebody brought that up. One of the things they said is, a lot of these young people uh haven't been brought up with the duty to God, duty to country, service to others, and then take care of yourself. They just haven't been given that. They don't even understand it. It's all about them. It's all about them. And uh and somebody we started talking about uh in Israel, uh, everybody goes in the military pretty much. I think some ultra orthodox don't, but most people do. And uh friend of mine was running a plant here in Roxboro, North Carolina, uh, and he was an Israeli tank commander. And, uh, so we were, we we're sitting around one day and we we're talking about hiring people. And, uh, he said, you know, it's in, in Israel, it's real simple. When I hire somebody, I ask them, where, do, where were they in the military? Mm-hmm. And based on where they're in the military, I know where they would fit in with my company and what they've already been, um, uh, vetted so to speak. And, um, He says, here in America, I get a a resume. All I do is then I interview them and look at the resume. I offer them a job. And six months later, they stop showing up because they don't like the job. He said, so I can't see how we can. uh," He says, it's difficult for us. Um, And he's right. It is. But going back to the comment, the guy said, you know, let's put all young people at a certain age through this where they learn duty to God, duty to country, service to others, and then take care of yourself and not explain which God it is. You know, if you're a Muslim, it's the way you believe. If you're Catholic, it's the way you believe. If you're Jewish, it's the way you believe. Uh, But you're teaching the young people resiliency and, and how to handle things and how to, and there's something about our brain chemistry that when we start helping other people, it just makes us a better person.
1: I agree with you, my friend. And in addition to that, Bill, the young people are watching us. You know, so my question, it wasn't a trick question to you, me, or the audience, but in so many cases, the young people see us as older people um, committing violence, violent acts, and there's no consequences associated with it. You know, when we look at uh, what we're going into now, January 6th and the reviews and everything that's going on, And it's just, just interesting. I I smile sometimes when I think about some of the people who were there on January 6th may, uh, may not have been a part of our hunt club. Isn't that amazing?
2: Yeah, that is amazing. You know, I was watching some of that and, uh, the the proud boys is like all over the place. And that was one of the guys that was in the hunt club. Uh, he was the leader in North Carolina. He's in prison now. Uh, and, uh, but you know, it's, It's uh, one of the things that shocked me about the January 6th thing is obviously there was there was no gun on the side of that we know of on the side of the protesters. There were on the other and somebody did die from being shot. Uh, And but the Proud Boys were so arrogant. They actually brought a person to do a documentary on this event.
1: Uh, Not the best
2: idea. No. And, and so he, okay. testif- he testified that he was doing a documentary and he was led to believe it was just, you know, a, a protest about an unfair election. OK. And uh, and so he he was doing that. And then at some point he realized it took this ugly turn to what it was. And he called the authorities mm. after it was wow. done. And.
1: Uh, that's that's amazing, Bill, because, you know, we're talking about gun control from the perspective of, of hunters, correct? You're a hunter and I'm a hunter. But the gentleman who was in our hunt club, and for people who don't understand, Bill, explain what a hunt co- club is and also our hunt club. So all of a sudden, the gentleman who was the leader of the Proud Boys was a hunter also. Yep. At least he was in our club.
2: Well, I think, I think uh, he was brought in by another young man. We didn't know him uh and we had an opening so we said yeah let's bring him in uh he was always a bit odd uh but you know probably people think you and I are odd so uh, yeah there you go yeah and uh but you know we he was willing to hunt and pay his fee but uh hunt club is where we have a house up in the country and a couple hundred acres you know 300 acres and uh, we have deer stands and we go up there and work on them and we'll go up cut the grass and have cookouts and hang out and then go deer hunting in the deer season. Um and you can go turkey hunting if you want in a turkey se- I'm not a turkey hunter. Uh too many ticks <laughs> and uh and jiggers. But uh um uh, you know so it's a kind of place to fellowship and get up early in the morning, go sit in your deer stand, come home, have lunch, take a nap, and get up in the afternoon and go sit back in the deer stand and come back, have dinner and sit around and talk by a fire it's just a great place for fellowship um uh, so that's what it, that's what a hunt camp is uh, and it's uh, you know i, I it's uh, there's you know women have book clubs yes it's kind of our version of a book club uh i always tease my wife she's a member of a book club and uh, i said i i think that's a wine club i don't know if it's a book club
1: <laughs> well you know as we get ready to close it's um Hunters have a different perspective on weapons, of course, but hunters are very aware of what's going on when it comes to the Second Amendment and when it comes to weapons in America. And I believe that the Second Amendment is okay. However, we have some room to deal with those things that's causing us heartburn. And it's not the Second Amendment, it's us. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, we're the problem. Let's address what the problems are and let's move forward. Yep. What say you, my friend, is the last word?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you try and talk like the fellow who was the proud boy. One of the fellows in our group was a, a veteran from Vietnam, retired JAG judge, a lawyer, smart guy, and they would get in discussions and this kid's and I never got part of those discussions. I, I wasn't part of it, but I understand it got so uh, heated that uh, the older gentleman wouldn't go up when the proud boy guy was there mm. and it became that ugly. So obviously something was said, I don't know what it was, but, you know, I, I think the, some, some of these extremists that ha- a lot of them are hunters, they all have guns and they are, want to protect their right for a gun. I get that, but, Sometimes they have extreme views. Now, the, the Proud Boy guy wasn't out doing mass shootings. He was just trying to take over the government, <laughs> which is a bigger deal, quite frankly, and, uh, and, and, uh, and hang Mike Pence uh, and Nancy Pelosi. Um, wow. So, you know, we've, we've kind of transitioned from mass murder to taking over insurrection. But, you know, some of the same thinking. Okay. Okay this, this proud boy thought wrong. And the guys, the people that go and do mass murders don't think right. And, uh, uh, we've got to identify those people and, and isolate them and try and help them see things differently. But if they don't, um, I don't know what you do with them. You know, you you can't put surveillance on everybody, but I guess you could take their weapons away because, you know, being crazy without a weapon is just being crazy. Being crazy with a weapon is, uh, lethal
1: well we have to be careful there because who determines what weapons taken from who because one of the things that i have a small issue with red flags is someone that can report odell is an angry black guy with a weapon and someone come and takes my weapon
2: well the, I, I, I don't think it's that cut and dry i think if somebody reported you you'd be investigated it's kind of like DE dss if somebody yeah. accuses somebody of being child abuse you know it, it, we, our daughter youngest daughter she, she for about an eight month period there she kept falling down and cutting herself or breaking an arm we kept showing up at the er and after a while the the nurses they look at oh my gosh look at all this they'll call yeah. dss on you just because it just it's just too too many incidents uh and uh th- that didn't happen to us don't get me wrong but uh yeah. you know that that's how things happen that the it, um how you do that, I don't know. It, it got to be a lot smarter people than myself to come up with the answer, but there's got to be an answer to it.
1: Well, Bill, both of us are smart enough to start the discussion, and as other people start thinking from our discussion starter, we can go from there. Yeah. So hey, to the audience, hey, it's, it's a continuum. It's a continuum. The race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to those who endure to the end. Amen. Thank you for enduring with us. Thank you for hanging in there. And thank you for allowing us to touch on these tough subjects and come out with some common ground common ground doesn't mean we come out with a solution but we come out with common ground bill love you my friend love you too Uh, i heard you going on vacation and you're gonna be okay get some get some rest
2: (laughs) i'll try
0: find bill and odell online at the common Show. this podcast is a production of bg ad group Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer Jeremy Powell, Creative Director Jacob Sutherland, Director All rights reserved